0: Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. Hey, I want to welcome you if this is your first time kind of coming to Elevate Church. Someone invited you because we're doing a series on relationships called Don't Give Up the Ship. Don't Give Up the Ship. And let me just tell you what the the heartbeat really is of this series is that is that you would take a stand against the attacks of the enemy in your relationships. Because how many of you know relationships get attacked? Do they not? Come on, you've been there. It's not a matter of of if, it's a matter of when. And if we can do the hard work now of preparing our relationships, the, the shifts in our lives in such a way, like do the hard work today so that we don't have to give up the ship tomorrow. That's really the goal in this series. In fact, that's what God's word tells us that we are to do in Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, or I would say builds a ship, uh, builds the, the family, builds the marriage, unless he's the one that's doing it, the work of the builders is wasted. Like what you're building, what you're expending energy and resource and time on is like meaningless unless It is God who's actually at the center of it doing the building. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. So if God's not at the center of construction in the marriage, center of construction in the family or in the relationships in your life, like what you've built is wasted. What you're trying to guard, what you're trying to protect is an exercise in futility unless God is the one who is doing the building. In other words, he's saying it will be tested. You should know that. There will come times when that, the strength of that relationship of what you've been built is being tested. And if you're not happy with what you've built in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, is by and large your fault because you've been the one that's doing the building. And so that's really the heart of this is that we would allow God to, to build within us what he wants to build so we're not building it all on our own. That is to say to, to live carefully, build carefully now so we'll end up with a future that we like. If we would open up our eyes and learn to live carefully today, it'll prevent us from living a life of hurt and regret and disappointment tomorrow. So that's kinda what I wanna talk about today, that we would open up our eyes, that we would remove the, the window dressings, that we could get a little real, that we could get a little raw perhaps with one another and to build intentionally and carefully today with a mind toward tomorrow. You ready to go? You guys ready? All right, if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you should feel awkward. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. You have the biggest Bible uh, out of anybody. It's going to be up here on the screen behind us. But let me just say this if you don't have God's Word, like we have uh, several Bibles here that our auditorium team would love to pass out to you, to give to you. You can take that home with you if you like. It's yours to keep. Like, like we believe that you should have God's Word. So go ahead and grab one of those on your way out. Uh, but for now, John chapter 4, verse 1, it says this Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. John is the guy that prepared the way uh, for Jesus. Uh, He baptized Jesus. And so the the Pharisees had heard that that Jesus was gaining traction, that he was gaining a following. Verse 2, although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, it was his disciples that did. Don't you love that? That right off uh, uh, from the beginning, there's this argument breaking out about who baptized more. Did Jesus baptize more, or did John baptize more? It was this kind of competition thing. And you know the disciples were involved in it, right, because, because they're like, oh, you know, we, we baptized 47 this week, you only baptized 12 this week. And you counted that pregnant girl twice, and I'm not sure you can do that, right? right. Like, there was this arguing. And then the Pharisees were getting involved because they're like, neither one of these guys, Jesus or John, went to our rabbi school. So we don't, we don't believe in anything that these guys are, are doing. And there was men involved, so there was scorekeeping. There was competition. What is happening here? Everything that happens when re- religion is leading, when religion is driving, when religion is, is nitpicking, backbiting, you know, all this, this kind of, of stuff, there's fighting. And so what did Jesus do? Verse 3, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. In other words, Jesus said, hey, y'all, deuces, I'm out of here. Like, I don't got time for any of this. Something you should know about Jesus. He's not big on these kinds of arguments. He's not big on wasting a lot of energy on stuff that doesn't matter. He's not big on, he doesn't care whether the the baptismal is 40, you know, is 84 degrees or 87 degrees Fahrenheit. He doesn't care doesn't have time for that. He doesn't care whether we use you know, unleaded or leaded communion juice. It's not on his list of priorities. He doesn't care if we read out of the, the, the King James Version or the NIV. Jesus is like, I don't have time for this. I got to go. Why? Because there's someone hurting. There's someone lost. There's someone broken who needs my energy and my effort and my time and attention. And I'm going to find them. Like there's a guy who's going to drink himself into a hole unless I don't show up, if I don't show up. There's a, there's a young person that's cutting themselves because they're trying to cope with something, trying to feel something. There's a girl who is starving herself because she doesn't feel pretty, and I'm going to go find her and tell her how gorgeous she really is. That's who Jesus is. He doesn't have time for any of the, the backbiting, the politicking, the church hopping, the church shopping. He doesn't care about pastors positioning themselves to have platform and influence. He's always going after the one lost sheep. Is anybody grateful that Jesus was willing to go after you? Like, I know I'm grateful. And so that's what he's doing. He's like, you guys can talk about this all you want, but I got to go. I have something I have to do. So he left Judea, returned to Galilee, and verse 4 said this, but he had to go through Samaria on the way. Why does it say he had to? Because he didn't have to. There was another way to go, but this was a divine appointment that, that required Jesus' attention. He had to go through. Uh, it doesn't say he happened. It said he had to underline that or highlight that. We're going to talk about that. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the at a well at about noontime. That's another important detail. Uh, it was noontime. It was during the heat of the day. Uh, When the sun was at its peak in the hottest. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to get some Chick fil A that we can't get anymore because, you know, it's closed for. Sorry, I just made somebody mad. I know I did. It's like four weeks left, people. Hang in there, hang in there. The woman was surprised. For Jews, don't have anything to do uh, with Samaritans. She said, Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So no, she was shocked. First of all, that, that he would even talk to a woman. Secondly, that it was a Samaritan woman that he would have a conversation with. So right off the bat, this whole encounter is scandalous. Jesus replied, if you, knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, which by the way, only Jesus could say that. Like, some of you guys tried that at the bar last night. Hey, girl, if you only knew the gift that I am right in front of you, like, right? Like, you should stop doing that. Then you would ask me, and I would give you living water, but, sir, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? Notice she's being literal, but Jesus is talking about something different. He's being uh, eternal. In verse 12, it says, and beside, you know, do you think you're greater than our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal, never-ending life, never-stopping eternal life. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Again, she's totally missing the point. So Jesus says, go and get your husband. So he's kind of calling her out, get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. And I think maybe if the conversation stopped here, she probably would have felt like she dodged a bullet, right? She's like, all right, let's change the, let's change the topic Verse 18, for you have had five husbands. Uh-oh, there it is. And the guy you're with now, he's no good either. Like the man you're living with now is not your husband. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And I bet she said that. Notice what she does now. Jesus read her, her mail and she goes into defense mode. Verse 20, so tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Don't miss this, this change in conversation because this is huge. While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it's not going to matter whether you worship the Father here, you know, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him because salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Verse 23, indeed, it is here now. It's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him that way in spirit and in truth. Which, by the way, that's what God's looking for today. Like That's what he's always looking for is people who would worship him this way. Who would, who would pour out their whole life, their whole heart to him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, which means sent one or anointed one. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Watch what Jesus says. I am the Messiah. Boom. Mic drop right there. I'm he. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find uh, Chick-fil-A was closed. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, I didn't mean to go back to that. Uh, They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you even talking to her? And watch this, the woman left. She went there to get water, but she left her water jar there beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming in from the village to see him. If you keep reading uh, in the story, the story ends with this huge revival. That because this one woman, because of her faith, because of this encounter that she had with Jesus, she leaves her water jar, she leaves the very thing that she went there to get in the first place, and went and told everyone that she could find. She played a huge part in seeing this entire village come to faith in Jesus. How many of you know that an encounter with Jesus will give you a purpose that you're not even prepared for? Like once you have this experience where he changes your heart, he changes your life, all of a sudden there's something that's inside of you that's like, man, I got I to gotta do something. This woman in that moment left her jar and ran and told everyone that she could. This is such a, a great story. And she went to the well hoping to get one thing, hoping to get water, but she happened upon something even greater because Jesus had to go through. He had to go through Samaria. God, I pray that you would speak to us through the story today as we open up your word. I pray that the, the, the story of this woman who is searching desperately for something to fill uh, an emptiness in her life, God, resonates with each one of us today, whether it's in a marriage or a relationship or a family or a work. God, there's something that we are looking for, and we pray that you will meet us here through the words on this page. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, Hope is a powerful thing, is it not? It's a powerful thing. It's a a powerful uh, feeling when it comes to our faith, when it comes to what we experience. Hope is extremely powerful because what we believe and what we have faith in can shape a lot of, you know, how we become. So our, our negative belief or our positive belief can have a big impact on what it is that we actually experience. For example, if you go to work on Monday or Tuesday and, and there's this you know, staff meeting and you're like, man, this is gonna be a waste of time, I hate the staff meeting, I hate you know, all this stuff, it's, just, it's gonna be terrible. Well, if you go into it with that attitude, there's chances are it's gonna shape you know, what you actually experience. You're gonna be like, I knew it was a waste of time. But what if you approached those kinds of things in your life that you have to do, meetings or even school or, or, or church with a different perspective? with a different sense of, you know what, I'm just going to prepare my heart. Whatever God wants to do in and through me in that moment, I'm going to let him do it. If I went to school and said, you know what, I'm going to learn something today, whether I like it or not, I think it would begin to shape what you experience because ultimately hope and what we build our hope on can be a powerful, powerful thing. But it can also go very, very wrong when what you've built your hope on is something that was never meant to sustain your hope, that was never meant to hold your hope, that was never meant to carry the weight of your, of your hope. Has someone ever uh, hyped up a movie to you? They were, they were like, man, you just gotta go see it. You gotta go see you know, whatever movie it was. You know, it's gonna change your life. If you just go see, um, think of a movie. I, I can't. Harry Potter. If you go see Harry Potter, it's just gonna change your life. And so you go see Harry Potter and you're like, what is he talking about? Like, I just wasted two hours of my life. I can never get back, right? Or whatever it is. Because it didn't match the, what the, the hype that, that somebody said, you know, that movie was going to change your life. I think relationships and marriages are kind of the same way. That it's all too easy for us to go into them with an unrealistic expectation. An unrealistic of, of hope of what it's going to, to be like. And as a result... We are guaranteed to be let down because a person cannot ultimately sustain your hope and hold your hope. Uh, for example, 23-year-old Colby um, thought that, hoped that, when I said I do and when my wonderful wife said I do, it meant that we would be doing the do all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like I thought they would just, we would just, you know, have sex like five times a day, and those would be off days when we were tired or something. I, I assumed, like that's what I thought. All right, don't don't judge me. It's just what I thought going into it. But I, what's funny is I was listening to a, a Justin Bieber song. You know, I don't know what you think about Bieber, but he has this song that says, you want to you argue all day and make love all night. And I was thinking about that. And I'm thinking, man, at 23, make love all night. That sounds awesome. At 45, that sounds exhausting, right? Come on. Those of you that have been married, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like 21, 22 minutes, you know, and I'm good. Let's roll over. Let's cuddle. You know, we got some things to watch on Hulu or whatever it is, right? Oh, yeah, like you make love all night, whatever. Just... <laughs> but you go into it with these expectations, you know, with hope. Build your hope on what you think it could be only to get let down because ultimately a person cannot sustain, cannot hold that hope. And I think it's easy for us in certain areas of our life to go into it with all these kinds of hopes and build our hope on you know, what, what television says things should look like or what culture says something should look like, what our marriage or relationship should look like, and then to get there and find out that it's not quite what we had hoped for. This woman, Jesus says, uh, is clear evidence of that because she had been in and out of one relationship after another, after another. What do you think caused this woman to hope that this time would be different? What do you think caused this woman to have hope that the next guy, the next relationship, the next thing was going to be different than it was before? Could it be like so many of us, she was addicted to uh, infatuation? Just kind of like the initial butterflies, but when the butterflies wore off, the commitment you know, wore off as well? Could it be that the, 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 the commitment ran no deeper than the initial fireworks that sparked the relationship in the, the first place? Whatever the case was, five different occasions. What she had hoped would happen ended up being different. Not what she expected at all. was far different from what she experienced to the point where when Jesus meets her, uh, she's just living with a guy. She's like, I just might as well settle. I'm not, why even try to get, get married again? Let's just live together. Which you do know, by the way, that cohabitation does not help a marriage that comes out of it. For the simple reason that Well, number one, if he's getting the milk for free, what makes you think he's going to pay for it? Ouch. And and number two, statistics prove that that marriages don't last once they've built on this long-term kind of cohabitation, that people will often give up the ship. So here she is, like many of us today, maybe building our ultimate hope for, for happiness and wholeness in a person, not realizing that there is a weight to that hope. That no person was able or meant to carry and meant to sustain. Because we build the ship, our relationships, in the wrong thing. It's all too easy for us to eventually give up the ship. I'm calling this message, if you want a title, Ship Building. Like Relationship Building. Uh, Erie, I don't know if you realize this or not, but it was a once a ship building port. Like when the War of 1812 happened and and then the the Battle of Lake Erie kind of, you know, to kind of begin to occur, they decided that that Erie would be a great place to build ships because of Presque Isle offered, you know, kind of a natural protection, you know, against the the open waters in Lake Erie. In fact, there was a sandbar that went from, like Presque Isle, I think there still is a little bit, from Presque Isle to the, the mainland here. And because we had these huge black oak trees, lumber was not, you know, short, you know, at all. And so they could find it easily. And because we were close to Pittsburgh, they could bring steel up easily. So they built these massive, massive ships here, like the brig Niagara, like the the brig Lawrence, right, that that went into battle during this. And so I want to give you, I was thinking about that, I want to give you five bad, actually four, four bad shipbuilding principles, that, that you and I often want to do our own building, and hopefully this will keep us from, from wasting our time from, from building in vain. Uh, and, and here's the first one, if you want to jot it down, is I can have strength without a strong foundation. That's the first bad ship building principle, and I'm going to build you a ship up here today. I wouldn't take it into the water, though. It is um, incorrect to believe that you can have a strong ship without a strong foundation you can build a strong relationship a strong marriage without a strong foundation at least that's what jesus said in matthew 7 he said this anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a uh, is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock who who builds a family who builds a, a relationship who builds a marriage on solid rock though the rain comes in and torrents and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock in other words so when the storm subsides because we have storms in our relationships that it will still remain that it has been anchored in stability and so what we've built on solid foundation on rock will will remain but verse 26 anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey In other words, if you build your life on anything other than God's word, what he's telling us to do, it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. In other words, it's going to look good, Might look good on the outside, like it might be up and ready for the housewarming party and people can come over and look at it and be like, oh, I love what you've done with the place. I love the shiplap. I love the subway tile. Chip and Joanna Gaines would be super proud. You know, all that kind of stuff. It looks good, but when the rains come and the floods come, it's not going to last because it's sand that you built on. Jesus says, fine, it looks great, verse 27, but when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, some people would say, Colby, well, when is that? Like, when, when, are, when are the storms going to come? I don't know. You tell me. When does the storms come in your relationships, in your marriage? Maybe after six months? First year? The second year? Like, eventually you start to notice that something's leaking in the, in the roof, and, and then water starts pouring in, or, or maybe the wind starts to kind of, uh, you know, swell up, and something sends... Uh, you know, a branch through the, the plate glass window. Or it could be that there's been a storm, but you've neglected to, to inspect the foundation and the water's already rising in the basement. Like, it doesn't say that, that it's a matter of, of, of if the storm's going to come. It's when it's going to come. And so when it comes, when the storms come, look, listen to what Jesus said, it will collapse with a mighty crash, In other words, as quickly as it was erected, as quickly as the relationship began, as strong as it began, it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. And the question could be, God, why is this falling apart? Why is this this dissolving? Because it's sand that you've built on. Listen to me. You cannot build on sand expecting to have the foundation of stone in the relationship. It's impossible. You can't build on sand expecting that when the storms come, when the the wind and the waves come, for that foundation, that ship to last. Because that sand that you have built on. Here's here's some sand that a lot of us build our relationships on. Here's the first one. is chemistry. People build on chemistry. I'm going to build this relationship on chemistry. Oh, we have so much chemistry. Kobe, like when we're together, sparks just fly. Like we're, you know, it's just, it's amazing the chemistry that we have between one another. Listen, I took chemistry in high school. Things blew up. All right. That's all I know. (laughs) It's sand to believe that you can build your ship on chemistry. Other things people build it on is attraction. Like, oh, we're just so attracted to each other. Oh, he's so hot. We suck face all the time. She's so hot. I just had to swipe right on her, you know, whatever it is kind of thing. Okay, but can I tell you something? Attraction is sand too. Because you do know the way he looks now is not how he's going to look 24 years from now. You know that, right? You do know that the way she looked you know, on your wedding day, um, because she ate nothing but celery for 18 months and carrots and spray tanned, is not how she's going to look 24 years from then. But if you're building it on a picture of what they looked like when you met, Listen, let, let me, what happens when they don't look that way anymore? What happens when maybe there's an accident and they're, they're in a wheelchair or, or, or something worse has happened in their, their life? What happens then? I'm just saying, are you building your foundation to where uh, it can withstand hurricane-force winds? Or are you building it on attraction? Because attraction won't last. Attraction won't, won't stand up to the storms. Uh, other people build things on common interest. We shipbuild on on common interest. Uh, People will say, oh, but we have so much in common. We're both huge Steelers fans. That's what we are. We even have matching Steelers jerseys. Well, if that's not rock, I don't know what is, right? Come on. (laughs) Listen, it's sand. Are you telling me that your mutual admiration for the Steelers is going to get you through a tough storm in your life? When you maybe bury a loved one. You bury a parent. You mean to tell me it's going to get you through when there's financial issues in the marriage because it's the number one cause of divorce in relationships, when things go bad financially? And I'm not saying common interests are bad. I'm not saying attraction isn't bad, you know, or chemistry, all that stuff is bad. I'm just saying none of that can hold a candle to someone who is wholly submitted to Jesus, who loves Jesus with all their heart, who will serve Jesus, who will lay their life down for you as Christ laid his life down for the church. Like all that stuff on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. It will not last. It doesn't last. And I say that because I know so many people who, who have who have compromised and said something like, well, you know, I'm, I'm dating him even though he's an unbeliever because I feel like I'm going to be the one who finally leads him to Jesus. You're missionary dating. That's, that's a no-no. You don't do that. Because I've talked to so many people who, who ended up dating someone who they knew was an unbeliever, who got married, and who woke up one day absolutely crushed and torn and hurt And disappointing because they had no idea how hard it would be to wake up Sunday morning and to go to church all by themselves. How to wake up one day and realize that God had put a purpose in their life, but their their spouse, their their partner did not share that same purpose. To wake up Sunday by themselves, get all their kids ready to go to church, only to come home to the underhanded comments of, oh, how was your God time today? How was, you know, are you a changed woman now because of it? Listen, they had no idea how hard that would be. Because they decided that they were going to build on a false foundation of attraction and, and common interest. They had nothing in common other than a sports team, really. Like, it doesn't last. That sand, that sand that you are building on. In fact, I would say you should be in your search. You should be like Adam. I don't know if you remember. God, God uh, caused Adam to fall asleep. So Adam was resting in God. And then when he woke up, Eve came. God brought Eve before Adam. So Adam was resting in the Lord. Like that's how it should be. You should be resting in the Lord. You should be following what God's calling you to do and one day look up and there he is or one day look up and there she is and you say, hey, hey, girl, hey, guy, you wanna build a ship together? Come on, let's come sail away, come sail away, come sail away with me, right? Like that's how it should be. And I don't know what your guys' problem is, because all the single guys in the room, we've done all the heavy lifting for you already, and have assembled all the great, beautiful, godly women here at Elevate Church, all in Northwestern PA, they come here. And so listen, guys, man, put the controller down, pull your pants up, stop sagging, right, and ask them out on a date, all right? Are you with me? Like, and don't text them, don't Facebook them, don't poke them, if that's still a thing, but you ask them out face-to-face, eye-to-eye, be a man, I need to move on, all right, here we go. Another bad shipbuilding uh, principle uh, is is this that marriage will make me whole. It's uh, incorrect to believe that marriage is what makes two people whole. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast where we say, you know, why would you believe that taking one half of a person and putting another half of a person together would complete you? You know how people say, that they complete me, they complete me. No, they don't. You're taking two broken people and putting them together, and you just have two broken halves, right, that now you're trying to figure out. You should not believe that in your search uh, to, for someone to fill what's empty, what's, what lonely is in your life, that, that someone else is going to be that cure for the loneliness. It doesn't work that way. Marriage will not make you whole. In fact, marriage doesn't solve problems. It reveals problems to you. It doesn't solve the problems in you. It reveals problems to you, like hoping that marriage is going to fix something that you need in your life uh, because you're single is just as flawed as believing, you know, having children will fix a broken relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It reveals more cracks in the ship that are there. That's because with each person that you add into your, your life, it's kind of like you're installing a security camera, With every person, with every set of eyes you add, you're installing another surveillance camera. I say that because I never knew how selfish I was until I get married, until I got married. Like I didn't know it. And I never knew it. I was always selfish, right? I was just alone in my selfishness. I was living in an apartment by myself, Like, why would I, you know, clean the kitchen? I don't even know if I ate in the kitchen all that much. Why would I make the bed? You know, why would I, you know, clean the bathroom? You know, I'm just by myself. But when I got married, my wife informed me of all the things I was doing incorrectly. All right? That's just how it works. Like, I didn't know that I was supposed to, you know, wash the bedclothes. And I didn't know I wasn't supposed to call them bedclothes. Does anybody call, you know what bedclothes are? Okay, sorry. So I shouldn't call them bedclothes. Those are sheets, by the way. Just sheets, all right? I grew up saying bedclothes. Like, I didn't know that. But when I installed a wife, it was like installing a video camera and always telling me. And by the way, with every subsequent child that we have had, it's like adding a whole uh, another, like, video camera to your life. There's surveillance all over my house with four boys. I have a two-year-old, Gray, that, you know, he's like, he's he's always listening. They're always listening, by the way. It's like, would you stop listening to the conversations we're having? Uh, But anytime someone says shut up or stupid, he's like, we don't say that. We don't say that. We don't say that. It's like Alexa is always on in my house, like constantly listening. <laughs> but that's what happens. And, and believing, right, that marriage is going is to make you whole, it's, it's a lie. Because oftentimes uh, what it does is it doesn't fill the, the emptiness that's in your life. It often just shines an even brighter light on the empty space. That's what it does because you're adding people into The relationship into the marriage. Jesus said this, John 4, 13, whoever drinks the water of this world will get thirsty again. That's what he's telling this woman at the well. And by the way, that's not just in marriage. It's not just in in, in relationships. It's anything on earth. Whatever you are focusing on, that that's where you're going to get your value. That's where you're going to get your identity from. It does not work because physical things can't fill spiritual needs. It doesn't happen. It doesn't, doesn't matter what it is, Moth, money, fame, nothing can fill that hole in your heart. If you need more clarification on that, you should read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's about all of that. Marriage, marriage will not solve your problems, will not make you whole. Uh, here's, here's another one about shipbuilding practices. After I say I do, I'm all done. So once I've gotten, you know, I'm to the altar and, you know, we've said I do, then I'm good. Like I can, just, I can just coast, I can just hang out. And here's what we said last week, marriage and relationships take time, work, and intentionality. Marriages are not turnkey, they are not maintenance free. right? They take a lot of effort, they take a lot of work. So let me ask you this question, like what are you doing to have the marriage that you want to have? What are you doing to, to have the relationships that you want to have in your life? Um, let, let me ask it to you this way: If you approached your job or your career like you approach coming home to your house, would you still have a job? Would you still have a career? Like in your life, like wh- what are you doing to make that to make that anything that you are growing in, anything that you are getting better in? You can show me exactly what you're doing to get better in that area. Is that true? So if you're if you're becoming a better hunter chances are you're doing more hunting. Like you're going out, you're sniffing leaves or I don't know what you guys do. I have no idea. Just lost all kinds of credibility with some guys. That's fine. (laughs) Sniff leaves. But chances are you can show me what you're doing to get better as a as a hunter, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, your bench press is increasing, you can show me like, what it is that you're doing to get those gains. And the same is true in your relationships. So what are you doing in your marriage that's helping your marriage get better? What are you doing in your relationships? Well, Colby, you know what? We, you know, we don't have, because um, I guarantee you if you show me your checkbook and your calendar, then I can tell you what you're doing and what you're focusing on because those are great indicators of what you think is valuable. You will spend money on what you think is valuable and you will spend time on what you think is valuable. But Colby, we don't have, we don't have money, we can't get a sitter, you know, we can't uh, you know, go out on our, I'm not, uh, you, you, you won't do it because it's not as important enough for you to make it happen. It's not that you can't because I'm not saying you gotta go spend all kinds of money, I'm saying like I'll take Kristen to Sam's Club and we'll eat free samples, you know, that's what we'll do. I'm saying put the kids to bed early. You don't have a, have a time alone, just you and, and your husband, you and your wife. What are you doing? I promise you, listen, make time for those vacations away, just the two of you, without the offspring. Like Make time for it. Do it. And those will cause there to be a visual progress in your relationships. I promise you. Some people might say, well, that's, that's the problem, Colby. We're out of love. We just don't, I don't know if I care about him. I don't know if I care about her. I don't know if I I love them anymore. Here's what I would tell you if that's you today. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice. Choices lead, feelings follow. So for some of you, if that's your pushback, listen, you need to get right back up in your love, big boy. Get back up in your love, big girl, and love them anyway, whether you feel like they need it or not, or whether you feel like it or not. Just love them. It's a It's a. Choice. It's a choice. Here's the last one that I want to give you, and I'll shut it down. I'll invite the band to come back out, and that is religion can solve my problems. This is a pretty sweet boat, by the way. Religion, and that's going to fix everything. See, at first when I was reading this story, it didn't make sense when the woman at the well kind of just so quickly shifted. When Jesus called her out and said, hey, you're right. You know, you, you've been married five times and the guy you're living with, he's no, no good either. And it quickly, she kind of like changed the subject. And she started to become uh, an expert on all things religion and where they were. And at first I'm like, why did she do that? And then it hit me, it's because she was still searching. She was still searching to build, build her ship on something that would, would last, something that would fill that emptiness, and something that would, would fill that, that hole because her location was an indication of her desperation. What do you mean, Colby? Here's what I mean. Mount Gerizim, and at the bottom of it where Jacob's well is, Mount Gerizim is like the holiest of holies, like the holiest place for the Samaritans. That's where they believe you could be closest to God. For the Jews, it was in Jerusalem— But for the Samaritans, it was at Mount Gerizim. And so the very fact of her location, where she was, was her saying, you know what, I am still looking. I'm still searching for something to fill that emptiness, that hole that's inside of me, because a guy couldn't do it. Relationships couldn't do it. Money couldn't do it. Moving from one thing to the other could not do it. So here I am at the base of the holiest place on the planet according to her and i'm still searching for something to fill it that's it religion that's going to solve everything that's going to solve it and i thought about that and i thought how you and i we do the same things and it's just another faulty ship building practice to believe that that we can hinge our 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 ability to fill the hole in our life with religion Thinking that religion is going to fill that empty space is no better than thinking a marriage is going to, you know, fix what's broken or or fill that hole. Thinking that a relationship, putting your faith in someone who was never meant to carry that anyway is going to be able to do it. And so what I so love about this is that Jesus came down into where she was, into her world, met her there in her brokenness in her saying, I'm not good enough. I'm searching for things. Jesus was willing to sit by her, was willing to drink with her. And he said, you know what? It's not about you know, having a, a, a strength. You, know, without, you can have strength you know, without a strong foundation. He says, it's not about that at all. You can't do it. That's not gonna fill it. It's not about um, marriage, that that's gonna make you whole, that that's gonna fix what's broken in your life. He says, the only thing, that you need is the spirit of God, is the Messiah. And then he says, I am he, that I am here now. And now you can find the spirit, you can find freedom, you can find the help that you need, what you're desperately searching for in your life. And listen to me, the very thing that he did for this woman, he wants to do for you. He says, the only thing that you can build a strong foundation on is nothing else this world has to offer, but it's on Christ and Christ alone. And if you build it any other way, you're building in vain. It's wasted energy. It's not going to last. And when the storms come, it's gonna fall apart. Why don't you guys stand to your feet today. God, we just pray right now for those of us in this room that we have been searching for everything else to fill the empty space in our life, that we would find it in Christ and in Christ alone, that we would stop looking in relationship after relationship after relationship. God, we would look to the one who was willing to get down into our brokenness, to come into our desperation, to come into our world, to sit with us, to talk with us, ultimately to give his life for us so that we could have a firm foundation because without that, it will not last. And so Jesus, we turn all our attention and focus on you right here today, and with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today, and you have never, in fact I'll say it this way, you've been searching, you've been searching to fill what's empty inside of your life, and inside of your heart, and you've been putting in all these other areas, and today you understand the only thing that can fill a God-sized hole is a God who sent his one and only son Jesus to die on the cross for you, and that you can't build a strong foundation without having the strength of the rock on Christ the solid rock we stand you've been running from that but today you don't have to run any longer because your search ends now it's not about religion but it is about a relationship it's about inviting Jesus to come live inside your life and to transform you from the inside out to give you uh, that that fullness that you've been searching for and I want to invite you if that's you today that you've been looking all over, and today you understand Jesus is the answer. I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me that invites Jesus to be at the center of our lives for us to begin building on him so that we're not building in vain, our building is not wasted, but we would start with a strong foundation. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, this is what I'm looking for. I've been doing it on my own. I've been searching everywhere else. I know I need Jesus. be at the center of my life with every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Just hold it high. Come on, just be bold about it right now. Just kind of lift it up. Awesome. 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 Hands all over the room. Awesome. You put your hands down. Say something like this. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I want to build my life on you and you alone. Forgive me for going my own way and searching for things that would ultimately lead to to nowhere and so today God I f- found that Jesus is the answer and I believe that you died on the cross for my sin I confess you as Lord and I believe today that because you conquered sin in the earth you're conquering it in my life as well so Jesus you have my heart from this moment I'm going to follow you in Jesus mighty name Amen Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations, welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church, to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.